Hi, I'm Debbie Harbeck, and I'm a certified life coach working with women in midlife and through the menopause transition. So each week, I'll be sharing the latest information, inspiration, and generate some momentum so you can move forward and feel more in control of your changing midlife body and your life. Let's go. So welcome to the Midlife Momentum Podcast. I have a fresh new episode for you today with a special guest. I have Liz Bendit on the podcast today. She's a senior marketing executive with over 25 years of professional experience. And after enduring five different cancers over the past 14 years, she leveraged her experience as both a marketer and cancer patient to launch thebombbox.com. It's a site featuring functional self-care and gift packages for cancer patients. So thanks, Liz. It's so great to have you on the podcast. Thank you for having me. All right. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. And I just want to start by your story. You know, how did you start out and, and how did your story lead you to creating the bomb box? Oh, gosh. It's right. It's a little bit of everything, right? So I grew up in Southern California. We moved around a lot as a kid. I went to undergrad at Boston University and got my undergraduate degree in broadcast film communications. I spent a couple of years working at Disney um, and decided I did not want to be a TV director <laughs> after all and um, switched gears and decided to get my MBA with a focus on marketing, have worked at um, a huge variety of brands and businesses that I won't go into detail. You've heard of most of them. So I had this really unique background where I know how to tell a story, right? That's how it's what I learned in undergrad. How do you tell a story? Um, what's your beginning, middle, and end? And um, in grad school, I learned much more tactically. How do you, op, you know, capitalize on that story? How do you, how do you make it profitable? And so after doing that for a whole lot of different businesses and brands, you put that together with my personal experience, I had this itch to do my my own thing. And it all culminated, like many people, right, over the pandemic, right? So over that, that career where I've worked as a ex marketing executive at a huge variety of businesses and brands, I also experienced a lot of cancer. And it's so weird. Everyone asks like, so I'll start with, I have no genetic predisposition to have any cancer whatsoever. And I've done genetic testing twice. And I've done like what they call the Cadillac, like the big one with like 200 genes, like basically the genes that have mapped to known cancers, I don't have, which means that they just needed you more mapping. I did not live under a radio tower growing up. I did eat a whole lot of snack wheels and tabs and drink a lot of tab. I'm totally a child of the 80s and 90s. So maybe that's it. Maybe we'll find that there was some kind of like horrible ingredient in all of those snack wheels cookies. I don't know. But whatever the case is, I, you know, there's not a lot of reason to it. And so in 2009, I was reasonably, you know, newly married and I had little babies at home. And that was my first cancer. I had melanoma and it was really scary. It was one of those, melanoma is one of those um, cancers where they tell you, oh, if it's spread, you have like less than a year to live. And if it hasn't spread, no big deal, wear more sunscreen. So that's, <laughs> that's, those are their choices. The, the, there's nothing in the middle, right? Like it, it's just, it was really, really terrifying. But luckily for me, it was caught early enough. It had not spread. I became obsessed with sunscreen and swim shorts, swaddling my children in like just head to toe 
neoprene, which um, my now 18-year-old daughter absolutely rejects and I cannot force. <laughs> so, you know, I did as long as I could. But yeah, so I had a lot of, you know, the skin cancer was very scary. You kind of like shake it off, go back to, to life. And then 11 months later, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. Three years after that, I had another skin cancer. Two years after that, I had my first breast cancer. Three years after that, I had my second breast cancer. So, you know, it's on, on the one hand, I'm very grateful that they didn't all happen at the same time. That would be overwhelming. Right. And also I have the benefit, I think of hindsight now. So as I've gotten um, diagnosed with incremental cancers, you know, the first time you hear the word cancer, you think, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. My children are going to be motherless. Like, you know, you just kind of go through like all the bad stuff. And by the time I got to the fifth one, it was more like, Ugh, this sucks. This is going to suck. This is going to be a tough year, but it'll be fine. Right. So oh. I think that there's a little, you know, you learn. And I think the other thing that I learned through that whole process, and I think we had a longer conversation about this is learning how to advocate for myself, that there are infinite numbers of, you know, there's all sorts of ways that all of these cancers give you and the treatments in particular, right? It's not the cancer, it's the treatments that give you all these, you know, lovely side effects and learning to work with doctors that will include include me in the treatment plan as opposed to dictate a treatment plan to me has been for me revolutionary. So one of the biggest aha moments I had through all of this is that you don't get extra points for suffering, right? Like you don't get cured faster because, you know, you don't do anything with your radiation burns. Like you can help yourself, right? There are things that will help make it less terrible. And, and that, so that was kind of one great big learning through this whole process was, oh, A, I need to advocate for myself and make sure that I'm working with doctors who I agree with when it comes to the various risk benefit of various treatment options. And the second is, you know, there's lots of palliative stuff out there that helps, that makes mm -hmm. this stuff more tolerable and it doesn't have to always be a prescription, right? Like ice packs that don't look through your clothes were revolutionary, right? Like it's just really simple stuff that made such a difference for me in my treatment. And I thought, um, so, you know, so those were some of the things swirling in my head as we ran into the pandemic in 2020. And I had this thought, like, why are people sending cancer care packages filled with a lot of what I would call inspirational stuff, right? And especially when you have breast cancer, you just get a lot of pink stuff, right? So pink breast warrior t-shirts, my top has tried to kill me tote bags and, you know, pink coffee mugs and like all of these things that are so well-meaning and honestly pretty expensive. But in the moment when I was in the middle of going through this stuff, kind of not awesome to receive. While concurrently, I'm out there looking for, you know, lotion for my radiation burns and a lip balm that's unscented and, you know, like all of these things that I know will be genu genuinely palliative, right? Like helpful. And I had this thought, why can't gifting be functional? And so as a, you know, 20 plus year marketing executive, my first thought was, well, maybe I'm just an asshole. Like maybe it's just me and maybe I'm the one that doesn't like all this stuff. And I got to make sure that other cancer patients agree with me, right? That they want 
functional things as opposed to inspirational things. And so I wrote a survey. It was super long. It went down two paths. So one path was if you'd previously had cancer, I asked you about your cancer experience and asked you to rate on a scale of one to five, like up to 50 different items of things that you would like to buy or receive for yourself. And then if you hadn't had cancer, I asked a bunch of questions about, okay, well, did you buy a gift? How much did you spend? You know, who'd you buy it for? All that good stuff. And this is one of those things, like I know it's a no-no in marketing. Like this survey took probably 40 minutes to answer, but it was the pandemic and everyone was at home and bored and they were super happy to have something to do. And so I forward, I sent it to absolutely everybody in my inbox. And I mean, people I haven't talked to in 10 years. And then I asked them in the email, hey, could you answer the survey and could you also share it? And it went viral and it collected over 500 responses, which was amazing. And I got such amazing validation from that survey. So when you ask cancer patients, what are some items that you would like to receive when you're going through treatments? They were all what I would call functional. The top performing items were things like lip balm, lotion, fleece blankets, ice packs, right? Things that got the worst scores across the board, things that nobody wanted, got ones, were kicking cancer tote bags, kicking cancer coffee mugs, worry stones, inspirational poetry. And so when you ask cancer buyers, right, caregivers, it's kind of the category I call that, what are you buying? It's mostly flowers and food. So here's this huge disconnect between what people want and need and what they're actually getting. And I thought, oh, that's a business. And so I wrote a business plan and by October of 2020, we launched it. Oh my gosh. There, there's a lot in what you just said. I mean, you packed it all into yes, I tried <laughs> five rounds of cancer and advocating yeah. for yourself, which I think is amazing. And I, I'd love to go into that as well, because for I think sure, that's something yeah. all women should be able to do or should feel like they can do is advocate for themselves and then taking and going from there and and then creating this gift that obviously is so needed. I mean, you got 500 responses on that survey that you with sent With no out, incentive, is... with not even like a chance to win hundred bucks or anything. No. Just, hey, could you answer my survey? It was amazing. Amazing. Yeah. That is amazing. And obviously it's a clear, you know, we see it clearly that people who are going through cancer would like to receive things that are much more practical things that they can actually use. Yes. And yes. so, and so therefore the bomb box was born, but there's so many things in there. And I'd love to know, like, if we back up to the advocating for yourself, because I sure. think that probably, I imagine that gave you a, a new sense of self-confidence perhaps, or did the self-confidence come before you started doing that? How did you how did you manage that? The, the Such a good question. It's, you know, it, it it was an evolution, right? So if I go back to my thyroid cancer, I had a really hard time. I had a lot of complications. I was really, I was struggling with clinical fatigue and I was gaining a ton of weight because I was so tired and not exercising and eating badly and all these things, you know, they're all, they're all connected. So I complained to my endocrinologist at the time. I'm just so tired. I, I, something is wrong. I wasn't even this tired when my children weren't sleeping through the night. Like something is wrong with me. And he just blew me off. And he said, you know, you're a working mom. Working moms are always tired. And I thought to myself, you're not hearing me, right? Like this is wrong. And so I went down this path of saying, well, I need to find a new endocrinologist. And I did my homework, found a new endocrinologist, got on a different medicine also, but, but the catch was to get into a new endocrinologist office. It took a year 
because I was just on a wait list because there just are only so many. And I live in a pretty major metro. So I can only imagine how much harder this would be for women that live in more rural areas. Like I live in the suburbs of Kansas City. It's not, it's a top 25 market. It's big. We have a national cancer center here. Like it just took a really long time to get into the good endocrinologists, the ones that people recommended. And that would, but so that year I ended up going to see this, I call her like the crunchy doctor. Like she ran a med spa and she was a little quirky and wore Crocs and I don't know, she was odd, but she had an MD and she looked at all of my labs and said, have you tried dropping gluten? And lo and behold, within three weeks of dropping gluten, I felt enormously better. I felt like I woke up. I was able to start running again. I got my life back. So then by the time I got to the endocrinologist, the issue wasn't the weight gain and the fatigue, but it was still something was off and he adjusted my meds and I got healthy again. And really in that 15 month period, I went from being overweight, frustrated, exhausted to running a half marathon. Like I just- That was, it was a huge transformation and and it takes a lot of effort and energy to train for a half marathon, you know? So I think all of that was, it was taking control, right? So I think that one of the things I hear a lot about from cancer caregivers and cancer patients in my job now at the bomb box is how helpless people feel, right? Mm -hmm. They feel like they've been diagnosed with something and it's terrible and they're helpless to do anything about it. And I do think that like, as a as a certified control freak, taking some control, like kind of owning the fact that I that that doctor wasn't a good fit for me, that I needed to do something else, trying to find alternatives, looking at combinations of homeopathic and like traditional pharmaceutical solutions, being open to both was for me like eye-opening. And I think the other piece of this that I preach on the regular is that. Medicine is just not black and white. There is a huge amount of subjectivity in, in in treatment plans and there's choices to be made. And there are, depending on how aggressive, you know, there, every choice has, is going to have like a plus and minus. And it really ultimately comes down to your risk tolerance and having doctors that are willing to have that conversation as opposed to those that have a really strong point of view over their particular risk tolerance and pushing that onto you, right? Those are mm-hmm. two very different protocols. And there are some people that don't want to make a choice and they want to be told what to do. And I totally respect that. I understand just wanting to give up that control, but that wasn't right for me. For me, I needed to be in my personality and my youth for sure. I was more comfortable being, I've learned that I did not want a medical dictator, right? I wanted a collaborator and we have choices, we have agency. And so I do, but I think that, you know, again, it was a combination of all of those things that got me to that aha moment. I don't think I had like a moment where like the angels sang and the heavens opened and I thought, oh, I am in control, some control here. It was more, I think my personality of saying this isn't right. I can take some control here. I, this person isn't hearing me. I need to find a different solution because this is not, I refuse to accept this as my new normal. Yeah. I don't know. Does that answer? Yeah, no, it's a great answer because you really listened to yourself and and you really trusted yourself to know. And I think that was an important aspect of this because for sure it's a very fearful situation. Like you said, you hear the word cancer, all of a sudden you're like, I don't know, like you're, I'm sure it's terrifying 
And then you feel like the person in front of you, the doctor in front of you knows best. And so sometimes you just be like, okay, you just tell me what to do. But at, you know, you've been through it a couple of times now. So at some point you must, you know, you're suffering all these other effects or something wrong. You know, your body, you're obviously very connected to your body to be able to say there's something wrong here. And it's not just what you're telling me. It's not just being a busy mom. It's something else. And you actually did something about it. And I think that's really important. I think that's something that a lot of us women need to, to do more of is to connect with our bodies. It's not the outside world who can tell you everything about who you are, what's going on in your body. You are the one who should have agency over your body and be able to advocate for that. I will tell you also, it's really interesting. They're different. My daughter and I talk about this all the time. My daughter is an, is an athlete. Um, she plays volleyball and she also has just found yoga and she has found this, she talks a lot about mind body connection. And I, you know, we talk about these things together and yoga for her. It's so interesting for someone that has been playing volleyball and the elite level for, you know, however many years, five years. And you'd think is that, that, that would give her that mind body connection. But for her yoga is what get, what has helped her enormously in terms of helps her feel good, helps her feel connected to her body, understanding when she needs to rest, understanding when she needs to move. And for me, it has been running. Like I, I have a running group. It's also my therapy. <laughs> so I get to run with girlfriends and, you know, then we've been running for 10 years together. So that, that's a whole amazing, you know, support system. But for me, that run has helped me also be connected to my body so that then when things aren't going right, I know, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, again, all these things work together. I was really, I'm lucky that I had started running before I was diagnosed with cancer. And so the running gave me that head start, if that makes sense, in terms of being connected to, I know what I can do and I should still be able to do it. Right. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. Actually, I'm a runner too. I've been a runner. I can't run at the moment, but I have been a runner. Same thing as you started a group of very supportive people. I don't know if the running community just happens to be very supportive, but (laughs) it's great to have these people around you, but definitely. Yes. Running really puts you in touch. If you're, if you really get into your bubble with it, it is meditative. It is, you notice your breathing, you notice your body, you it's like yoga. And I think uh, like similar to your daughter, it took yoga for me as well to connect with my body. I found that it was yoga that helped me the most too, because they are guiding you to focus on both, to focus on your breath, to focus on your body and just to connect everything together, the mind. And to be fair, my daughter keeps dragging me to yoga and I don't super love it. And I don't have that same. (laughs) So for whatever, like, just so your listeners here, like you just got to find your thing, right? It it doesn't, it could be swimming. It can be tennis. It can be whatever. It can be walking your dog. I'm just saying that, that I think because I had some sense of my own physicality before I got sick, that gave me a lot of agency or resources, if that makes sense in terms of Mm -hmm. getting better. Absolutely. No, I love that. I love that you were already had that connection. So you were able to to know when things were off. And yeah. I think that's important for most, well, for all of us women, I think. Totally. So. Totally. Yeah. Agreed. Okay. So, I mean, you've had to deal with a lot of things I know. And so it led you to creating the bomb box, but 
you've in the meantime as well, you've left a corporate job. You've yeah. had to, you know, and you've been through all this and you decided to leave your job and launch this new business. So all of that too is, I imagine, quite stressful. <laughs> I imagine, like as you're going through another cancer diagnosis, you're also doing this, right? It's just, yes. it's a lot. How did you do it that? It is a lot. <laughs> it is. A, I don't know. On the one hand, it's a lot. On the other, it's like, it's super freeing. I should start with, I'm unbelievably lucky. I have a husband who has a, a really good corporate job with health insurance, right? So all of our health insurance for the past 15 years have come from him. So me leaving my job, it doesn't have as big of an effect, right? On our overall family income and well-being, right? As you know, if he were to leave his job and his understanding and support, right? So, you know, I've cut my income in half. And he has been fully supportive and that affects him <laughs> too. You know, it's our, it's our joint uh, money. So I, I'll start with, you know, we had a conversation about my desire to be an entrepreneur and we planned for it. So in 2018, I had this idea. We started saving so that the idea was that by the time the kids, we could be without childcare and take that the, you know, we had a part-time nanny that would run the kids to all their after-school activities and whatnot. So if we could get rid of that expense and the kids could drive themselves places, then that income, for example, is not lost, right? It's just sort of, it kind of makes it a little bit of a net neutral. And then if I could work part-time somewhere, then that gets us to a place where between savings and childcare and part-time work, we could cobble it together and I could launch a business. So that was, we started talking about this in 2018. We started saving money to create runway so that, you know, it wouldn't be just cold turkey. And then in, it was amazing. In January of 2020, I was out of the blue. I was offered this opportunity to teach part-time at University of Kansas School of Business, teaching marketing classes, which was the perfect part-time job. So I was able to take that on before the pandemic hit, which was three months later. And that was incredible. And so I've had, and I've continued to teach and I still teach part-time at University of Kansas School of Business. And, you know, they've, they're amazing. So it, I didn't just do it cold turkey, right? It took a lot of thought and planning and I did it at a time when my kids could be more self-sufficient. So I, you know, I, I did wait for quite a few moons to align, right? In order to make this transition work. And that's made all the difference. I know it's, it's really interesting. I talked to other entrepreneurs and there's really kind of two schools of thought. Mm -hmm. One school of thought is you have to quit your job and just go in all in and don't have a fallback because that like fear is what's going to power you. And then there's the other school of thought that says, you know, most businesses, you need a lot of like test and learn before you can scale and having another source of income provides runway and opportunity. And I liked that idea a whole lot better. And I've followed that one. And that's the one that I think has, at least for me, worked really well. So I have some source of income, you know, through teaching, certainly not as much as I made as, as an executive. We'll put that out there. But it also is much more flexible hours. And, and then it's given me the time 
to continue to manipulate the business. And so, and I will tell you, the product line and website look nothing like they did three years ago because I've had that time to test and learn, right? And so there were, you know, product lines that just straight up failed and so they've gotten rid of those. So, you know, just continuing to test and learn and they, in entrepreneurship, they call it product market fit. Um, and it took me about two and a half years to get to that product market fit where I saw, okay, I have the right combination of product, price, and ad campaign that's going to generate the right conversions. Now I can put more money into it. And now we're scaling. So for me, having that runway and having a part-time job has been instrumental in my business's success and then also my mental calm, right? Like I have a source of income. It's not nothing. So yes. that's also yeah. helped. So planning, right? That also is part of it. Yeah. Yeah. And and I, I love what you said. There are two schools of thought. I did the other one. <laughs> <laughs> I just left it all and just like go full force because that'll push me, right? And it was hard. Right, yeah. It was probably, yeah. you know, I look at the way you did it and you're smiling and you look so calm. And <laughs> I'm like, wow. Yeah, that probably would have been a better idea, but that's my mindset was nope, you've got to make you've got to make a clean cut and just go for it. Yeah, well, it can work out yeah. obviously. So you it's worked out for you, it's worked out for me. <laughs> different experiences, but all good. Yeah. So that's amazing. So you've done this. So in the bomb box, maybe you can tell me a little bit about what that is now. Yeah. Yeah. So when I started, I had this idea that it would be a subscription box right? Where if you're going through radiation or chemo or even surgery, that you would sign up for yourself a subscription. And then you would get like weekly or bi-monthly boxes. You know, you could manipulate how often you wanted to get them of stuff to help you through your recovery. And as an afterthought, I thought, oh, well, I'll also throw in gifts so that because we've already kind of curated these um, boxes, maybe people just want to buy one box as a gift. And on my like business plan, my first business plan, I thought, okay, 80% of sales are going to be self-purchase and 20% will be gifts. And after the first year, it was completely the opposite. 80% of sales were one-off single gifts and 20% were subscriptions. So ultimately the subscription product, we ditched, got rid of it, and then focused entirely on gifts. And then within gifts, we continue to test and learn. And so I started off with like what I consider side effects specific boxes, right? So here's the nausea box or the neuropathy box or the chemo brain box or the radiation skincare box, right? And at the end of the day, the aha learning for me was as a gift buyer. And then we also had the generic, if you're not really sure, here's the cancer care box or here's, you know, the chemo box with a little bit of everything. And the generic boxes sold so much better than the side effects specific boxes, which in retrospect makes sense, right? If you're mm -hmm. a caregiver and especially a caregiver that doesn't live close by, you don't really know exactly what side effects people are experiencing. And you don't really want to make that judgment call. You just want to provide something that's, that's palliative. And so we cleaned up all of those side effects specific boxes and just created Here's the cancer care box, the, the small, medium, and large, or what we call essentials, comprehensive, or tremendous. Here's the mastectomy box, the essentials, comprehensive, tremendous, so on and so forth. And so you can go in and buy a box that is going to have a little bit of everything for someone going through that particular surgery or treatment. And that has made all the difference. The, and the items are all functional, you know, so um, the two items that I'm most excited about are our pillow products. We design our own. And I mean, again, I'll start with 
we started manufacturing them. I had this idea. I went to a local seamstress. She was making like 25 a month for me. And over the time we've grown so large that I had to move to an actual manufacturing facility and take the business away from this wonderful seamstress who honestly was more than happy. She hems pants and <laughs> does other things too. <laughs> but the um, these are these really great seatbelt cushions. And so oh, things yeah. that like you don't really consider when you're going through radiation or you are, are any kind of breast surgery, whether it's lumpectomy or mastectomy, or even if you're having chemo and have a chemo port, your upper torso is super, super tender. And you don't think about it, but that, that seat belt is really uncomfortable and actually can be painful. And so I love this, like just really clever seat belt shield that has little scallops in it so that you don't even have to attach it to the seat belt. It just kind of, the seat belt tension holds it in place. And it's so clever and so comforting. And we make lots and lots of them. Um, and you can also buy them on cvs.com. It's very exciting. Um, and then um, these side pillows. So this is another really cool product that is a scalloped shape pillow that fits under your arm. So it looks like a little horseshoe. And when, again, things that you don't think about when you're going through radiation or you're having a mastectomy, the weight of your arm can really bother and agitate your side. And so I love this pillow because it lifts your arm off of your body and it makes it so that it's not bugging you. And especially when you're sleeping, it just kind of, it just forces your arms away from your body so that you can get comfortable because getting comfortable when you're going through all these things is the key. And it's really, really hard. So I love these pillow products. We're talking to a couple other retailers about putting them in stores. Like that's um, another area of growth for us. And, and they, you can find them in a whole variety of our different boxes. And then we also partner with a local small business, woman-owned, of course, called Polish Your Parts, which is such a great name for a business. Polish Your Parts, um, yeah. <laughs> And she does all these wonderful organic and paraben-free and, you know, all natural um, lotions and, and oils and um, and she makes our cuticle oil and she makes our lotions and she makes our lip balms and they're amazing. So it's like a little bit of everything. You know, we manufacture some things, we source from some other manufacturers, but we put it all together and curate these boxes that are filled with like really awesome, high quality, useful items. Wow. That sounds amazing. It sounds... <laughs> like exactly what you would want to get you you want the comfort you want to feel good because i'm sure going through cancer does not feel good so no. you need no. everything you can and you are a bit of an expert unfortunately <laughs> about that yes. and you've created these pillows yourself right yeah. you yeah that's that's incredible which i i love that and i'm a bit of a a sewer so i really appreciate oh, really? that kind of stuff so yeah, yeah. So I think that's wonderful that you've been able well, to Well, you think it's what's really fun is the manufacturer um, that we work with has the same machine that stuffs our pillows that they use at Build-A-Bear Workshop. I don't know if you've ever been to one oh, of those. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> so our stuffing is the same as the Build-A-Bears. It's very squishy. Oh, very nice. Funny, right? It's, it's yeah, it's very cool. And so... I just want to ask, what have you like, and this is quite a journey, I mean, through cancer, through leaving a job, through midlife and all of this as well, because yes. you're also pretty much the same age as I am. And so you're right in this midlife time and you've created this business. So what have you learned? What would you say are the big things you've learned about yourself as you've gone through these challenges and maybe even the other people around you? 
I mean, I've learned a ton, right? So one of the things that I've learned, it's this really interesting combination of being a small business owner. All of a sudden, there's no one in accounting to ask, you know, how to file your various expense reports. And there's, you know, and I have to be the one to change the ink in the printer and right. I mean, all those things. So I've learned a lot more self-sufficiency and I do love that flexibility of being able to in a day focus on everything from marketing to finance to operations. And at the same time, I've also, as a result of being sick, right in the middle of all of this scaling and launching, I've also learned how to delegate, not learned. I mean, I've always delegated. I've had staff and given them assignments, but I probably was more of a micromanager than in reality, I thought, especially when you're sick, you have to just let go. Like there's not, I'm just not going to be there. I can't oversee things. I just have to trust other people to do that. I've trained them and they're going to do it right. And it'll be fine. And guess what? It is, you know, like the world continues to turn shockingly while I, you know, watch uh, Netflix and sleep. So it's both of those things, if that makes sense. Those were kind of my big learnings. Yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. Definitely. It's just incredible what you've been through and that you have learned to to delegate. I think that is a huge learning. I think it's a learning most of us need to have in everyday life. It's one thing to do it at the office, maybe when you, there's a clear, you know, hierarchy and this is what you're doing, but it's another thing to do that with the people in your own home and trying to delegate tasks that, especially when you're the mom and you're used to doing everything, you, you had to delegate, you had to have the family help you out when you were going through all of this. So I think for sure. And I think, you know, and I love that, I think that my kids have learned a lot more self-sufficiency as a result of it. In fact, you know, I think about my daughter is 18 and applying to college and she even wrote a whole essay about um, learning when to step in and make pancakes for dinner because everyone was distraught. It was such a beautifully articulated example of, hey, I learned that sometimes moms need to be taken care of and that's okay. And I don't know that I learned that at 18. You know, my mom still was doing my laundry when I was, until I went to college. I like to think, I hope that that would be one of the benefits, right? Is that it forced me to let go in a way. And and luckily, again, I've been really lucky that I I let go at a time when my children were of an age where that was appropriate, right? You know, they're in high school. It's very, very different when you're, if I go back to my first cancer and my children were one and three, that's a much different. (laughs) They're not making pancakes for dinner, but they were wonderful in their own ways, right? Like, you know, they're, you know, when I was, or the weekend that we were waiting for the pathology results to come back from my melanoma uh, surgery, that, you know, we were going to find out, you know, surgery was on Friday. We're going to find out Monday, whether or not it had spread. And that whole weekend, like those little babies were little need machines and they were very distracting and wonderful to just, you know, sometimes just sitting down and reading Bernstein bears and just in, you know, giving baths and, and making hot dogs, like all of that was wonderful also. So I think that in some ways I've embraced the parts of parenting that have worked well for me during my different stages, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. No, it does. It makes sense. And I, I do love that idea too of, you know, your children are old enough now and have been for the last few years to be able to take on some responsibility 
and that we don't need to go through cancer to have that happen, right? No, no, <laughs> no, no, please don't. <laughs> no, no, no. And I think, I think that's, it's a great learning because sometimes we don't let go until we have to, like I, and I've been through a divorce where I had to let go part of the time. But in that, the gift is that the kids learn a whole new set of skills. They learn how yes. to take care of yes. themselves in other ways. And there's always that gift inside all of these things. But we wish we could do this without having to have that reason to do it. You know? You yeah. Can... I mean, you don't want to have to go through trauma <laughs> to learn these things. But, you know, again, it's, if you ask me what I've learned, right, that's one of those things that I, I feel like yeah. I've learned. Like, delegation. And then I should be clear, it's also delegating, not just, you know, things inside the house, but delegating inside my small business, right? So giving part-time workers, you know, hourly workers more responsibility, because ultimately at the end of the day, I stuff had to get done and I couldn't do it. And they loved it and loved having that responsibility and were really gave them a sense of like agency and pride. And I thought, oh, I don't need to actually be sick to to enjoy the benefits of this person growing as an employee, I should do that in and of itself as a leader, as a manager, as a mentor, right? So those are some things that I think also, you know, you try to look on the positive side, you know, what are the things that mm -hmm. are the, the positives? And those are some, for sure, some of the positives. Yeah. And I, I think that's so important. I think, yeah, you had to go through this, you, you learned those things, but now you get to take them forward with you. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. keep doing them. Yeah, absolutely. So I really loved having you on the podcast, but before you go, I always ask my guests, what is the best part for you of getting older? Well, I have two answers. Uh, one is my, uh, my little brother got married a lot later. So his, and he started his family a little older. So his children are really little. They're three and one or almost four and one. And they travel with a stroller and eight pounds of crap wherever they go. And every time I see them, I'm like, ha ha, <laughs> I'm really glad that I don't have a stroller anymore. Like I do not miss traveling with small children that, that, that really was horrible. So I, so one benefit of midlife is my children are self-sufficient. I super, super love that. Um, when I say pack for a week at the beach, I do not need to check that shorts and bathing suits have been packed. So there's that. And then I think, you know, the other is the broader, what I like to say, give a shit factor, right? Like as you get older, at least for me, as I've gotten older, it's so much freedom that comes with not caring what people think. And genuinely, like certainly in my twenties, I used to say that I didn't care, but I did. Right. And so now I think 25 years later, I definitely don't care. Like I genuinely have found marching to the beat of my own drummer and hearing my own authentic self, right? All of those smooshy things I found to be really true. And, and I, um, and I very much enjoy not having the pressure of having that peer pressure or allowing that peer pressure to affect me. Maybe that's what I'm trying to say. I have a question. Would, do you think you'd be there if you hadn't been through the cancers that you've been through? Oh, gosh, what a great question. Maybe not, maybe not, you know, like I, I talk a lot about how grateful I am to my cancers in some ways, like it's been this really lit, big litmus test for my, for my marriage. So, you know, I think there are a lot of marriages that in these kinds of scenarios, they just break. Um, and it's so understandable, 
so no shade right on anyone whose marriage has fallen apart as a result of this trauma. And I've just been so grateful that mine's been strengthened. Right. So it's a, that's a gift of sorts. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And like we've talked all about, you know, the children learning to be more self-sufficient and make scrambled eggs and pancakes for dinner and doing their own laundry and recognizing that mom is human and breakable. Right. Those are all things that I think are good. And I'm grateful for, I think are, are positive. So I don't know, like I, you know, we, I can't, I can't, can't say for sure I would end up in the same place without it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, all of it has brought you here. I think probably sure. that, you know, give a shit factor is probably maybe you don't give a shit even more now because yeah. of what you've been through, you know, and not just your age. I'm sure that's part of it because I, I feel it in myself too, but I do wonder if it's also all the experiences that you've been through too. I'm sure that bolsters that kind of feeling of like, you know what, I'm going to do what I want. Yes. Life is short, right. And precarious and, and going to work with horrible humans and, or going to work with mind numbingly boring work. And I've done both and I won't name them. (laughs) You know, I just don't have time for that anymore. I don't have the energy for that. Yeah. I love that. I love that. So I, I've learned, and it was, it wasn't me that had cancer, but my mother. And I think that really turned the switch for me too, was like, you know what? I only live once and I don't have the time to do the things that I really don't want to do. And uh, yeah. So I really do think, I hate that it takes negative experiences for those things to come out, but I think that's life. We do have to go through the negative to really see the positive. We have to have that contrast. It's going to For be sure. Positive. And I've had, you know, and I, I have had, I had a unique upbringing that my, I'm firstborn American on my parents' side. My grandparents are Holocaust survivors. They mm-hmm. met in hiding in Poland in World War II. Wow. And their story is a story for another day. Mm-hmm. But my grandmother went through, I mean, I can't begin to say how much she went through. She, her first husband and son were killed in the camps she lost five sisters all of their families like she was the sole survivor because she looked like me because she looked very Aryan and could escape she could have spent her entire and and my and my grandfather lost quite a bit as well right they came to America they remade themselves and did very wealthy and, and and did incredible things but I will tell you my grandfather was bitter he was mad at the world until the day he died And my grandmother was grateful. My grandmother was just charmed. She was full of joy. And I do think to a certain extent, happiness is a choice, right? And I, and that was such a like vivid, I mean, growing up with these two very different humans, right? In my life that faced the exact same horrific experience and to come through it so differently. Like, I do think that choosing joy is, is an option. So I like to think that my grandmother taught me that. Yes, you are clearly a reflection of your grandmother. Clearly. (laughs) What What a a great compliment. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's so true. And yeah, and that's a great lesson, you know, that we should all learn as we get older. Choose joy. Choose joy. You can always choose it. For sure. So uh, Liz, if any of the women in my audience right now want to get in touch with you or want to learn more about you, how can they do that? Absolutely. We're on all the socials. The We're on Facebook. And it's all a little different because our welcome to naming your business. So on Facebook, it's at 
at Bombbox on Instagram. It's Bombbox IG. Uh, we're on LinkedIn, www.thebombbox.com. Just Google the bomb box. You'll find us. The bomb box. That's B-A-L-M bomb box. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Good. All right. So I'm going to include all that information in the show notes. Please so do. people Thank can you. just click on the links and, you know, and if you do want to order anything from Liz, uh, it'll be right there. You'll be able to do that fairly easily. So thank you so much, Liz, for for being on the podcast. I think what you have to share obviously is super valuable. I think a lot of people will get something really good out of this, even if it's just to choose joy. I think <laughs> I certainly that hope would so. Be and, so and what good. I tell people is I I certainly hope you never need to buy a cancer care package. But if you do, that's what I'm happy that we're here for you. And that's what I, I try to say. And I, I genuinely feel. I love that. Oh, that's perfect. Well, thank you so much, Liz. Have a great rest of your day and hopefully we'll stay in touch soon. Sounds good. Thank you, Debbie. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Midlife Momentum Podcast. If you want to learn more about working with me, come visit me at debbieharbeckcoaching.com. That's Debbie, I-E, Harbeck with a C, coaching.com. See you next week.